Think, and this is the Christogenia Open Forum. I like that song. Yeah, that's Allison Krauss. It, it's a lot better to go down to the river to pray. I mean, how many people did Paul meet in the book of Acts praying by a river? It's an ancient tradition. And it's a lot better than going to a Judaized church and being lied to. Too bad more of our people don't do it. Some of them might even repent. I didn't really have a topic tonight until Matt, Matt Matthew Ott asked this morning that we talk about the importance of the Old Testament to Christians. It, it can't be understated on, on, at, at all. And I'm going to raise one example from one of the Matthew programs that I did a few weeks ago. And, and to me, this is a very important example, and, and this gives me an opportunity to um, elucidate on it further. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they shall be called the sons of Yahweh. What is a peacemaker? A lot of people would think that the man who placates others whether they be aliens or Israelites, is a peacemaker. But a peacemaker is not a placator. In fact, placating aliens will get you into a lot of trouble 
Deuteronomy 23.6, Yahweh warns us concerning the, the aliens, especially the aliens of the land of Canaan, of course. Thou shalt not seek their peace, nor their prosperity, all thy days forever. In, the, um, in, in Deuteronomy, in chapter 29, verse 6, the word of Yahweh says, I'm sorry, is this? No, verse 16. For you know that you, how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt and how we came through the nations which we passed by. And you have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away this day from Yahweh our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that bears gall and wormwood. And it comes to pass when he hears the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart to add drunkenness to thirst. Yahweh will not spare him. We don't follow the gods of the other nations. Yahweh will not spare us when we attempt it. And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him. Yahweh in his jealousy shall make smoke against that man. And Yahweh shall blot his name out from under heaven. There is no reason to go to aliens seeking peace. The proverb says, chapter 10, verse 10, from the Septuagint, He that winks with his eyes deceitfully procures grief for men, but he that reproves boldly is a peacemaker. There we see the man who reproves boldly is a peacemaker. And I would assert that that reproof has to be from the Word of God. A real peacemaker makes peace with God. Without the Old Testament, we might be led to believe that a peacemaker, by peacemaker in Matthew 5, 9, Yahshua meant a placator. But that's not what a peacemaker is to God at all. We are not to placate. We are not to seek the peace of aliens, ever. A real peacemaker makes peace with God by reproving and insisting that we be obedient to his word in our deeds, not with lip service. Which leads me to talk about the aliens. When a Negro mentions God, when a Negro talks about Jesus, even when a Judeo-Christian, because Judeo-Christianity is really Judaism for idiots, when a Judeo-Christian talks about God and Jesus, they don't really mean the God of the Bible. They have formed God and Jesus in their own image. Therefore, they have created for themselves an idol. A Negro, or, or any other non-Israelite, who claims to worship the God of the Bible, is lying. Because... His beliefs are contrary to the words of the God of the Bible. Therefore, even though you may never convince him of that, and it's not your place to convince him of that, 
It's not your place at all to try to convince him of that. We're not to take our pearls and throw them before swine. He has created an idol. And when you seek his peace, Deuteronomy chapter 29, you're walking in the vain imaginations of your own heart, and you're following the idols of the aliens. That's why you can't talk to a black man or a Hispanic or, or, or any other non-white about Jesus. Because your agreement with him is disagreement with Yahweh, our God, and the real Jesus, who is Yahweh in flesh. He can't agree with them. He would say, get away from me, I never knew you. Because, Amos 3.2, Israel are the only people he's ever known in all the earth. So when you try to make agreements with heathens about God and Jesus, what you're really doing is you're placating the other races whose peace you are not supposed to seek. And you are following after the idols that they have formed in their own minds. Because they certainly don't mean by God and Jesus, the God of the Bible, and the Jesus in the Bible, who does not know them. Neither can they believe. They will never accept the scripture. They will never accept the truth of the word. That's why we can't throw our pearls before swine. Because... They will trample them with their feet and turn and rend us. The importance of this, the importance of understanding this, it, it, it really can't be downplayed. That the, um, a peacemaker is one who seeks peace with God and reproves his brethren when they violate his word and never seek the peace of the aliens. And, and that's one, I just wanted to, that, that's one way where, where it's really important to understand that Old Testament. And, and you can't understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old. Because when Yahshua Christ said, blessed are the peacemakers, he was not talking about placators. Yahweh alone gives us peace. Peace is one of the promises of obedience in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I read it last Friday, and I'm going to read it again. And it shall come to pass, I'm sorry, I read it several Fridays ago. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of Yahweh thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day that Yahweh thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and shall overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of Yahweh thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Yahweh shall cause 
thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. Yahweh shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand to do, and he shall bless thee in the land which Yahweh thy God giveth thee. Yahweh shall establish thee a holy people. Holy means separate and dedicated to God. Unto himself, as he has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments and walk in his ways, and all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of Yahweh, and they shall be afraid of thee. And Yahweh shall make thee plenteous in goods, and the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy cattle, and the fruit of thy ground, in the land which Yahweh swear unto thy fathers to give to thee. Yahweh shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow, and Yahweh shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and shalt not be beneath, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of Yahweh thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and do them, and thou shalt go not aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. For Christians, the only real peace, the only real peace we could have is found in the obedience to our God. He will see to the enemies and to all of the non-Adamites and the non-Israelites. And today it's obvious that we are disobedient and we are overrun with his enemies. It's that simple. If you want to be a peacemaker, you can't be a placator. You can't go on blog talk radio and try to talk to Negroes about Jews. That is placating. You can't try to convince them that it's not the white man's fault that they're niggers. That is placating. You can't try to convince them that it's not our fault for all their shortcomings. You're trying to placate them. There's no reason to do that ever, and Yahweh will curse you according to his word because you are trying to agree with their idols, which is their idea of what God's all about. That's an idol that they've formed in their mind. It's a false god. You can never agree with that. Light never has any concord with darkness, period. Christ never has any agreement with Belial. There are no exceptions. You cannot bargain Christianity away. You cannot rationalize the commandments of Yahweh. It can't be done. He tells you not to do something. You don't do it. That's it. There's no, um, there's no compromise. There can't be compromise. If there's compromise, you're a failure. Just admit that you're a sinner. Okay, I I I know that Matt he he wants to talk and and um, yeah, you know I'm going to be honest I I've been quite disappointed with, with the level of participation here because this is an open forum and and um, 
that there's a few people that participate almost every week, but for the most part, most people never participate. I'm not trying to twist anybody's arms, but, you know, I'm not going to bite anybody's head off either. As long as you don't make up your own Bible, you're okay with me. That the um, basically we need more participation in these open forums. Uh, I mean, it's an open forum. It's supposed to be a discourse. And and even if you don't think so, you may have something important to share with the rest of us. Uh, I mean, we have um, yeah, you know, we all have different gifts, whether we know it or not. And and there are people here that can offer insight that that I probably could never come up with, and and that others would like to hear. That's the way it is. Hello, Matt. Hey, Bill. Hey, everybody. How are we doing tonight? I, I wanted to bring that, that that definition of a peacemaker. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you'll never get it. You'll be a placator all your life. The Judeo-Christians, they're all placators. They're not peacemakers. A peacemaker reproves his brethren and, and, and um, exhorts them to, to be obedient to the Word of God. That's a real peacemaker. Right, a peacemaker is not a compromiser. And that's essentially what, what you know, all of your, your modern Christians, that's what they're taught to believe. That, you know, you're, that Jesus was this uh, tree-hugging hippie, that he loved everybody, and that, you know, you're, you're supposed to turn your cheek to everybody. And it's... If you know anything about the Old Testament, you would know that that is so wrong. And if you had any kind of concern for your your faith, um, you know, with the the obvious dichotomy that that presents, then you would do the research and you would you would read and you would understand that okay, well, what they're they're teaching us in church is not what it says here in the Bible. But then again, I mean, that's the, the root of, you know, many of the issues that uh, our people are facing today. But I want I to touch on, um, kind of thinking of different ways to, to discuss this, but um, a friend of mine who, who used to come on here from time to time, a few of you may know him, is my friend Tom. Um, I mean, we've been friends for a long time, but I think he's really getting hung up on the uh, the Jewish issue, especially since now apparently he's got um, a a partial Jew for a girlfriend, and uh, he knows I'm not happy about it, and he's really stuck in the, the whole patriot movement thing where, you know, there's a lot of well-intentioned white patriots that... Um, are also your quintessential Judeo-Christians that absolutely skirt around putting their finger on what is and what isn't. And that being, you know, sure, these, these guys will tell you everything that's wrong with the government, everything that's wrong with society today. You know, and they'll, they'll put every other name to it. It's the bankers, it's the... Uh, it's the media, it's the, uh, it's the politicians, you know, but they don't, none of them look deeper than that. It's 
it's okay to understand what's going on, and it doesn't, you know, I've learned it doesn't take much to understand what's going on. The key is understanding why, and the only place that you are going to find out that why is in the Bible, and it starts with the Old Testament. You can't just open up the New Testament and and say, yeah, I, I understand everything that's going on from what I've read in the in the New Testament. Well, well, right, and, and the um, Alex Jones, right? I mean, that's his single biggest problem. He just won't name the enemy. David Icke, same thing. They won't name the enemy. They're just distractions because they won't name the enemy. If you have a wolf eating your sheep, you can't stand before your pasture and think, well, maybe it's a snake or maybe it's a... a, a um, some other sort of creature, you have to identify what's eating your sheep. And and if it's a wolf, you have to say, well, we have to go get the wolf. The wolf is eating our sheep. We have to, but the first step in preventing the wolf from eating the sheep is identifying the, the carnivore as the wolf. I, I mean, that's it's real simple. It, it's A plus B equals C. It, it's one plus one equals two. You can't get around it. It's not the bankers. It's not the Illuminati, it's the Jew. Right, and uh, and, and my friend was, my, my friend went on, he was trying to, you know, I mean, we've been involved in, in the Patriot Movement together for like 20 years, and it's it's all the, the same co-birds and, and all this stuff, and and uh, he's like, well, it's it's Zionism. It's not necessarily the Jews, because not, not all Jews are Zionists. I'm like, um, there would be no Zionism if there were no Jews. It doesn't mean that every Jew has to be a Zionist, and it doesn't mean that every Zionist is a Jew. No, no every Jew can't be a Zionist. If every Jew were a Zionist... You know, it's just they... They're just as bad because guess what? They are following the Jews. We would not have communism if we didn't have Jews. We wouldn't have a lot of these isms if if the Jew no longer existed because it comes from their thought, thought process. Well, well, we wouldn't have predatory capitalism either, and, and all capitalism is predatory, and and all Zionists can't be Jews. If, if all Zionists, if they were all Jews, Zionists is the correct pronunciation, by the way, in spite of the mainstream. If if they were all Jews, then they would all be in Palestine. It's that clear. If all Jews were Zionists, they would all be in Palestine. But all Jews are basically... Um, cooperating with each other in the same political agenda. I've never met, have you ever met a Jew that was a racial separatist for whites? Have you ever met a Jew who, who believed that whites should exist alone and, and whites should have full um, self-determination over their own nation? I've never seen a Jew profess any of that. So, so, but the Jew will say it about Palestine. 
the Jew will say it uh, about, I've never seen a Jew promoting racial integration in China. I've never seen a Jew saying that perhaps um, 30 million white people should move to Nigeria. I've never seen a Jew be sympathetic to the plight of whites in South Africa. If the Jew were really for diversity, he would be sympathetic to the plight of whites in South Africa, and, and he would be um, trumpeting the, 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 um, the right to self-determination of whites in South Africa. Have you ever seen a Jew do any of that? No. The Jew is the world's ultimate hypocrite, and they're hypocrites no matter where they are. And they're hypocrites whether they're Zionists or not. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, Tom went on to, because uh, apparently he just, he just posted uh, a video on his Facebook profile. Um, it has to do with, uh, I guess it's, it's some new movement called uh, uh, Republic for the United States of America. Now, granted, the guy who was on air, it's like a 45-minute video, very informative, uh, obviously a white man, um, all with the best intentions, very smart. But it, it's funny the way he phrased it when he was discussing the bankers and he was discussing the, the, the newspapers and the radio and, and various other points. He kept his key phrase. There was one phrase that he used more than anything else throughout this entire video. It was, the same people. The same people run the banks. The same people own all the media. The same people are in power in the governments. The same people. And and I said to Tom, I'm like, don't don't you get this? Don't you get what he's actually saying? He's about as close to saying and putting his finger on the enemy as just about any other patriot out there. But being the quintessential Judeo-Christian that he must be, he's not, you know, he's not getting past that darn point. And all you got to do is, is, you know, do a little bit of research on your own. You know, if the same people, you know, own the banks, the same people own the why don't you just go online and find out who it is who owns these banks, and, you know? Then we can definitely start pointing fingers. Then, you know, but the problem is I know he's not going to do that because he's afraid that I'm right. Well, you know, not for nothing, Tom seems like a nice guy. The only reason why he comes here is to look for you. I've never seen him come here to commune with any of the people here. The time that you, you were just gone for over two months and he wasn't here once that, that I saw. And, and I also check my, my, my server log every time I come on online, right, to see who was here during the day. Just to make sure nobody's screwing around, right? So, so uh, I mean, man's not looking for, for um, fellowship but with, with Christian identity people. And if he has a part Jew girlfriend, well, he's he he has some problems because he's a race mixer. I mean, he can't if he can't um, obey the simple commandments that are found right in Ezra and Nehemiah that we have to put the strangers away from us. 
if you can't um, obey the simple commandment in, in Second John that we are not to ever um, have agreement with, with an antichrist, well, well, then he, he, as far as I'm concerned, he, he's um, lost to the world, man. That's, I mean, I know he's your friend, but he's lost. He's gone. If he's, if he can't see those simple biblical truths, then what's the point? Yeah, I know. And these, and these simple biblical truths, they, they all have their starting point in the Old Testament. Where you know uh, your your modern Christian is able to take you know most of your modern Christians know their New Testament fairly well, but they're so they're they're taught so well to be able to take verses out of context that um, you know, usually they're arguing with with other fellow modern Christians, and uh, none of them have the understanding of these. Uh, a lot of the, the phrases and the, the idioms and the uh, the language is all still so similar to the Old Testament, and certain you know certain phrases that exist in the New Testament you can, you can pretty much trace back into the Old Testament and understand understanding of, of what it is that they're talking about, and most people don't. You know, they don't seem to understand that. Well, most pastors will read a verse in the New Testament and, and make up some psychobabble about it, right? He won't go to the Old Testament to understand what the verse means. They don't do it. That They don't look at the historical context to understand what a verse means. They don't even look at the context of the chapter in question most of the time. Well, and especially on, you know, during your commentary on, on the book of Revelation, I mean, it, it astounded me because you, you started, you started the, the commentary before I went into jail. And then the Old Testament in the first three and a half weeks that I was there. And then I was able to finish... Uh, the, your commentary when you you printed it out for me. So essentially, I, I heard I heard the first two thirds of your commentary through via audio. Then I read the commentary twice through. Um, you know, just to to obviously gain a better understanding and to see if there was anything that I disagreed with, but. You know, coming on the heels of reading the Old Testament like I did, I, the a lot of the symbolism and the, the phraseology was fresh in my mind that that made your commentary, you know, just that much that much more truthful. That it, it followed the the scriptures much more than than anything else out there. Well, that's how we should seek to interpret Scripture, right, is, is through Scripture. And, and historical, um, the, the, the meanings of the words in, in the original languages and historical context are also important, but Scripture is primary, right? 
and, and if somebody's trying to interpret the scripture and they turn somewhere else first, that, then they're doing themselves and they're everybody around them that listens to them a disservice. Right. And here's a, a point, in fact, and, and although you're basically, um, the example I'm going to give is, is uh, something within the Old Testament itself, I'm not using the Old Testament to uh, verify something out of the New Testament, but talking about uh, how Ham uncovered the nakedness of his father. Now, even in your new living Bibles, these you know a lot of these crappy new Bibles, your new international version, these these basically Jew translated Bibles. I mean, they even go so far as to translate that particular phrase into the fact that yeah, Noah Noah was was naked and. Ham saw his dad naked and, and his brothers covered him with a cloak. When all you need to do is, is go, I believe it's, it's in uh, the book of Numbers that specifically relates what it means to uncover your father's nakedness. And it's in very plain English. And it's not just, you know, not just your father's nakedness, but it goes on to explain you know, what it means uh, in various forms. And the fact that people, you know, who claim to have read the Old Testament are at least familiar with it, most of them are familiar with the that, that uh, story of uh, Noah being, getting drunk in, in his tent and, you know, at Ham supposedly uncovering his nakedness or seeing his dad naked, and then all of a sudden his son Canaan is cursed by Noah. And that just never made any sense to me at all. If Ham did something wrong, why was Noah cursing his son? And, you know, it just didn't make any sense. And obviously it wasn't until I, I came to CI where it was cleared up to me that 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 essentially meant incest, that Ham had sex with his mother, and Canaan was therefore the, the result, and he, his lineage is then cursed. But that's, that, that unto itself, I mean, that's just a, that's a prime example of uh, um, a misconception by 99% of the Christians out there simply because they don't page through the Old Testament a little bit farther and, and find out what it means to uncover your father's nakedness. Well, well it says it right in Leviticus 20, 20, verse 11, and the man that lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. And if Ham's son is cursed, well, well, that's why. That has to be why. It has to be that Ham lied with his own mother. Uncovering, therefore, uncovering his father's nakedness. And that Canaan was the result. That's the only thing that would curse Canaan, was that Canaan was the result of that union, that illicit union. Exactly. But there's no other, there, there's no other explanation, because there's no other explanation that's based on Scripture. Anything else is vanity. You know, and, and to look at our, our current situation, to, to kind of 
get back to the uh, video thing that uh, Tom had me watch. You know, yeah, this, this guy is, um, you know, this guy is discussing everything that was wrong with with the government today and society today, and you know, all the things that happened that brought us to this point, which of course, you know, didn't didn't include the fact that you know, our people turned away from the laws. Yahweh, that's always left out of the mix when when these patriots are discussing our, um, you know, the decline of the United States and the decline of our society. Um, it's just, it's, it's sad because the Old Testament is so filled with these same stories. These same stories, you know, the the degradation of the societies within the the nation of Israel, the corruption of the 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 politics and the government of of you know each one of these uh, smaller kingdoms within the the nations, and and uh, it's it's a broken record. The Old Testament, to me, in a sense, in the historical fashion is nothing but a broken record of us turning away from Yahweh, forsaking his laws, his very simple laws. I mean, the, the amount of laws that he has just fits on a and, You know, you, you go into a law library here and, and, you know, you've got rooms upon rooms and stacks upon stacks of books and, and all kinds of crap, millions and millions of laws. I mean, give me a break. I think I would much rather give them up for the, you know, the 600-some-odd laws that, that Yahweh gave us. But, you know, the fact that our people consistently turn away from Him. You know, they turn away from Him because they, the blessings that they receive from Him by following His laws make them complacent. And... They, they, make, they make us lazy, and we take him for granted. And it doesn't take long for us to forget how it is we acquired those blessings, why it is that we are living so well. And it, it is so true. I, I think, you know, Clifton had, had pretty much coined the phrase that the scriptures is the greatest love story ever told. And there's no question about that in my mind when, you know, I read read the, the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages of how our people pretty much thumb their nose at Yahweh after everything that he does for us, everything that he proves to us about his love for us. You know, it's kind of like being spit in the face by your own children and then to have it happen over and over and over, and yet he still tolerates it. He's got infinite patience. Well, well right, and, and it's part of our lesson is that what we're to learn is he has infinite patience. But that we should want to be obedient on account of that. We should want to be obedient on account of his mercy. Most of our people are not going to learn that message. That they're not. Not until it's too late. Come out of Babylon unless you suffer her punishments. I mean, most of our people, I believe, are going to be punished.
Yeah, sadly, there's there's no doubt. There's no doubt in that. Well, well, they don't understand it. Watching monkeys run up and down the field with the ball for four hours every Sunday, that's idolatry. And how many, how many, even the churchgoers, they get home from church and what do they do? They turn the TV on and they watch football the rest of the day. That's idolatry. The hell with their families. Beer and football. Absolutely. That's idolatry. They, they can't, that, that's, um, that you can't get much more idolatrous than that. Yeah, I, I wanted to uh, share a little story that kind of ties in what, you know, your your introduction with, um, you know, what we're discussing here. Um, it, it has has to do with um, a black man that I, I met in prison. Um, when I first met him, he seemed very respectful, seemed like a nice guy. I think I had wrote, wrote my wife that, um, you know, when I first met him that, you know, I, I at least had some respect for him because he seemed like the, the type of black man who should have been a leader amongst his people, okay? But it did not take long before his true colors had shown through. And I'd say after the first week in there, he was probably the largest thorn in my side for most of my stay in jail. Um, he had a lot of other people snowed in that, you know, he, he always seemed to want to be there to help. You know, he'd be the first guy to, you know, give you a handout, so to speak. Well, he wants something to return. Exactly, Bill. Exactly. As soon as he found out that I didn't gamble, I didn't smoke, um, you know, I had no money to spend, even if... He had no use for it. Yeah, and even if I, I did have money, it wasn't going to go to anything except absolute necessities. Um... Well, well, a lot of minorities, when they see a new a, a new white man, new white me come into prison, that they will kiss right up to them because white they equate whites with money. They think that all whites have money. So if they suck up to this guy, that they'll get something from him. And and once they find out that they can't get anything from him, they will hate him. That's natural. I've seen it over and over again. They will hate him with a passion. Yeah, he was, he was, um, basically, he, he was, uh, he was a street hustler who, uh, quickly became acclimated to the, the, the prison environment and became the, the top dog, uh, loan shark, um, cigarette and tobacco salesman, legal weed salesman, all that good crap. And right, probably the Jewish brother. No parts of that. Probably the Jewish blood in them. Uh, and an alarming number of American Negroes have Jewish blood. That there's little. That there's. I'm sure that even science would establish that, but I, I think they're awfully silent on it. Yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but he was also, and and what really did it for me is uh, I, I found out that he was a, a total race mixer, um, that he 
would date nothing but white women, that he had a, a half-white daughter, um, and that he, at that time, supposedly had a live-in white girlfriend, and then a white uh, girlfriend on the side who was married. So, needless to say, just about everything about this guy went, you know, rubbed me the wrong way. And then throw on top of that pretty much every single one of his mannerisms um, stepped on one or more pet peeve of mine. So this guy was my nightmare while I was in here. And the fact that, you know, it was very upsetting that there were a lot of white guys who kissed his ass because, you know, they could get their cigarettes and, you know, and their loans and everything else from him. And this guy would charge 50 cents on the dollar interest for loans to all these moronic wiggers who were, who were in jail and gambling their money away and, you know, smoking a, a pack a, da a day of cigarettes that cost a dollar a cigarette, which was pretty much rolled as, as a pin joint. You know, I don't know how these guys did it. I, I'm just, I'm so glad I, I, you know, I didn't smoke when I come into this place. <laughs> but anyway, to get to my point, you know, this guy, like I said, he, he you know, he acted like he was everybody's beneficiary. And I saw right through it, and I would really, I'd hammer on the, the white guys who would come over to him and, and uh, you know, schmooze up to him and everything. I'm like, you know, what what fellowship do you have with this man? You know, he has nothing for you except, you know, he's making money off of you hand, and, hand over fist because of your addictions, because of the fact that you can't, you don't have enough willpower to tell this guy no. You know, of course he's going to seem like he's he's being nice to you by, by you know, offering you loans and being there with the tobacco when you need it, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make him a nice guy. So anyway, to, to, to make a long story short, um, in the end, I decided I was going to pray some imprecatory prayers against this guy. I mean, he would, he bunked right next to me. I mean, right next to me. So, of course, you know, his 24-7 illegal dealings had me up all the time. You know, I just said enough was enough. Especially after seeing, you know, he was, he was getting more white guys coming to him and and I just, I just couldn't take it. I'm like, you know what, somebody's got to do something. And I think it's the first time I actually tried real imprecatory prayer. And the first night, I, I you know, every night I would pray for, for everybody here in this room, all of my, all, all of my brethren, all of my family, and, and all the, the other Israelites that don't have their, their eyes open and their ears open and their hearts open. And I would finish out the night saying, you know, Yahweh, this, this, you know, this beast is is a real thorn in my side. I pray that you bring a judgment against him because not only is, you know, is he making me miserable, but he's dragging a lot of my brethren down with him. It's obvious that money is his God. And after that first night, 
the, the very next day, he did not have a very good day. I don't remember exactly what, uh, well, as a matter of fact, I do remember one thing specifically. One of his boys that he pays to bring stuff into him, and they would bring it in by a means called boofing, which is stuff up your butt. Well, needless to say, the guy that he paid to boof in a bunch of legal weed for him decided to swallow it instead. So he wasn't able to throw it up. So this guy was losing money by the day, every day that this guy couldn't throw up his uh, merchandise. So I'm like, well, did, was that coincidence or should I try it again? The second night, I prayed the same thing. I asked for judgment against this beast. The next day was worse than the, than the previous day for him. Apparently, his live-in girlfriend found out about his other girlfriend, which, you know, he had been bragging about the whole time that we were in there, that, uh, that you know, he had two white women and, and, you know, one didn't know about the other and this and that. And... Uh, here, I guess she found out about it, and then there was something else that happened. He had a pretty miserable day, and I'm like, wow, two for two, let's go for three. Well, the third night, I prayed, and I prayed hard, and the, the very next day, he got busted. He, uh, the greed got too much for him. He tried to, he went out on a travel pass, tried to sneak in some stuff himself, I think, for the first time, instead of paying somebody else to do it for him. He got greedy, tried to do it himself, and he got busted. He got an extra 120 days and was thrown in solitary, and I didn't have to deal with his monkey ass for the rest of the time I was in there. Praise Yahweh. I'll smack anybody in the face who tells me that imprecatory prayer does not work. Well, well, I'm sure it does. I mean, I've had my own experiences also, but yeah, yes, imprecatory prayer is... Um, you humble yourself. You, you don't try to take vengeance on your own, no matter how much you would like to. And, and imprecatory prayer is very often effective. And when it isn't, don't blame God for that. There's another reason, and you have to look for that for, for that reason and search that out. Absolutely. And and this was, you know, I mean, I had I had learned of of imprecatory prayer when I came to CI. That was that was a phrase that I wasn't even familiar with all my life until I came to CI. And then reading the Old Testament, I mean, it's it's mentioned in the Old Testament a few times, which Tom's. is part of, of why, you know, why I was reminded to go that route. Well, well, the Psalms are examples of imprecatory prayer again and again. David praying for deliverance and Yahweh's judgment upon his enemies. And, and that's our example today. That, that is our example as we speak. That is what we should be following. Absolutely. Is, is David's example. If David was a king priest, yeah, you know that. David, a lot of people don't realize that. David asserted his authority over the priesthood. He made the courses, right? I mean, he made the courses and divided the priests. And um, 
he he made sacrifices to Yahweh. He 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 took upon himself the role of a priest to God, and, and um, he was he he was always justified for that, and and um, and he is the. The, the most outstanding example in the Old Testament, and and he his life should be a model for all of us. And, and um, his Psalms half the Psalms are probably um, imprecatory prayers. Actually, I had a question for you, Matt. Were, were any of the uh, the white guys in there receptive to the message? Um. Yeah, you know something, Martin? Kristen will tell you this, and, and Matt found a few guys that were receptive, and, and I'm sorry I cut him, but I just have to mention it. Kristen will tell you time and again about guys that were on his mailing list, got out of prison, and he never heard from them again. Right. And and the thing, the, the biggest issue that I came across was that um, most of your white men are not that familiar with Scripture. Oh, yeah. You know, they they probably were raised Christian or Catholic or whatever when they were young, and you know, pretty much became agnostic after that. They they know what the Bible is, they know who Jesus is, they know who God is, but they're not well versed. So it's not like you can start quoting scriptures to them, or even discuss scriptures on a you know a. a connect on on a knowledgeable basis somewhere in there. What mm-hmm. I ended up doing was uh, discussing, uh, touching on the, the race issue with most of them. And most of them right off the bat were not what you would consider racist. But the, I guess depending how you would look at it, you know, for as much as being around these, these freaking noisy-ass beasts as long as I was, that they provided more than enough examples every day, 24 hours a day, to completely substantiate uh, the racial topic that I was able to substantiate with Scripture. Well, well, that's that's why I always say, if you go to jail, if you're a white man and you end up in prison, if you're not if you're not a racist in three months, you're a fag. There's no other explanation. Yes. It's incredible, and and, and men men of low moral character just love the aliens. Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, there's uh, there's at least I'd say there's at least three or four white guys that I just said to their face, I'm like, when's the last time you looked in a mirror? Did, did you realize you're white? Right. Most of those men that, that cling to the aliens are homosexuals. That, that's been my experience. Oh, you know, um, I was gonna I, I was gonna quote Genesis chapter three verse eight, where it says, "And they heard the voice of Yahweh God." walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God amongst the trees of the garden. Want to talk about literal trees, maybe, huh? If we could only find a way for these niggers, these gooks, and these beaners to somehow 
if we could just hide ourselves and, and accept universalism and multiculturalism, you know, from the presence of Yahweh. That's what that's telling me. Yeah, that's actually pretty good, Bruce. And then Yahweh says, then Yahweh says uh, later on in verse uh, 11, chapter 3, Who told thee that thou wast naked? No, he well, around with those other trees, right? It wasn't a snake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, on another note, I, I don't want to break the subject, but I, I don't like this guy, right? I don't. I have strong reasons not to like this this guy. Robert Anthony Hill, I think, or no, I'm sorry, John Anthony Hill, he goes by. And, and evidently, and, and somebody sent me a link this morning. There's HenryMacow.com and Henry Macow. He's a Jew, right? Uh, I, I mean, he's a, he's one of those self-hating Jews. I, I've got nothing for him, but he's reporting, and, and he gives several other websites that this Robert, that this. I'm sorry, I don't know why I keep calling him that. John Anthony Hill, that calls himself Yah Truth. He, he um, evidently beat his case in Britain on, on that 777 ripple effect. And he beat his case, according to HenryMacko.com, he beat his case by first pointing out that the, um, the queen was coronated on a fake stone, and therefore she has never been lawfully crowned. And, and then, in, in other words, the stone of stone, she wasn't actually coronated on a stone of stone. I, didn't, I don't know the details of that. And then he, he said that she, she, when she was coronated, a, a coronation is a signed contract by the queen or, or by whoever's being coronated. And they sign a contract that says that they will um, uphold the Bible and the law of God. And, and, and he proved that she doesn't do that by, by pointing out in the law that it's, it's not lawful to add anything to the law. So, so <laughs> and, and supposedly he won his case based on 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 those two um, uh, on those two points, and he was acquitted. John Anthony Hill had requested a jury trial, and he was acquitted. So uh, I, I got to look into it more, but that's what HenryMacow.com is is um, reporting. Uh, I think that the pitfall to that is that John Anthony Hill is a multiculturalist. And he he trumpets the Koran as much as he does the Bible, and and that's just a huge error, right? And, and I think that this will only um, strengthen his his errant resolve, right? In in a lot of ways, but I I don't care about him personally, and and he probably did a good work with this seven 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 ripple effect by showing that that this was a scam that was perpetrated by by um. The, the Jews on, on the English people, basically. So, so I'm sure he did a good work with that. It, it does for, um, yeah, you know, it, it does for Britain what films like Mike's Missing Links did for, um, do for, do for America, right? But, um, that they brought him to trial for it, right? We still have some semblance of, of a constitution here, even though it's mostly lip service. Well, well, they brought him for to trial for it over there and he beat them. Allegedly, uh, I have to look into it more. I've only checked out the one link. 
Yeah, I'm definitely interested in that. Well, well, I forwarded it to some of my British friends, right, so that they could check it out. Maybe it'll give us something to talk about on the Euro program on Thursday. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I'd like to sit in on that myself. Well, if anybody else has anything to say, this is the time to pitch it in. Question, I just thought I'd say hello. I'm not going to make you talk. <laughs> yeah, that's I okay. Uh, I just, before this program began, I posted, um, I, I didn't get to the document part yet, but I posted PDF files of your new Watchman's teaching letters. Yeah. That they're now online, 157 and 158. The links are on the front page of your site. And, and the angels that sinned, chained in darkness, parts one and two, those links are also on the front page of your site. Yeah, okay. So, so that material, the PDFs are posted. I, I don't yet have the text up. I hope to over the next couple of days. I sent you one more PDF on... Uh, 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 on the beast of the field. I didn't know if you wanted me to proofread that or not. Uh, no, what I'm talking about is one to post. And and it's... Um, don't blunder on Hebrew word J. Don't blunder on the word J, yeah. Right. I, I wasn't sure if you wanted that proofread or... can't put that in HTML. It'd be, you know... Uh, it'd be too much to do that, but uh, you could put that in a PDF. Oh, wow. I'd be there all day with this one. Uh, actually, maybe longer. Look at all this Hebrew. <laughs> it would take forever to put this in HTML. Well, what I was trying to show in that uh, that particular paper is that uh, you got to have more than just Strong's uh, uh, as a uh, lexicon. Uh, to understand the word J. And, well, well, right. And I was showing how that uh, Gesenius, uh has about eight times as much as Strong has, and then Brown Driver Briggs, uh, they have, uh, they actually work to uh, break the word J down into five categories. Something that, uh, well, uh, Gesenius sort of did that, but, uh, but uh, Brown Driver's Briggs gives you about uh, 25 times more than what Strong's gives you. So uh, Strong's only gives you just a, a, a really an abbreviated idea of what the word she might mean. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It looks informative. I'll make sure it's posted over the next day or two. It, it'll be posted today or tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I've got that, those same things ready to go out regular mail, too. Another thing on, on Brown Driver's Briggs, to understand that, you've got to have about eight pages of abbreviations, because it, uh, if they would write everything out... Uh, in its entirety, you know, their, their sources and so, that brown, brown driver's bridge was probably three times as thick as it is. So, so you, have, you have to be constantly 
uh, looking at the abbreviations to see what uh, what they're abbreviating. Well, well, right. And certain so-called CI pastors claim to do claim to have done all of the word studies, but they never quote anything other than Strong's. Well, very few of them have, uh, even have Gesenius, and I'd recommend that everybody that's really interested in identity they get Gesenius to go along with their uh, Strong's. Well, well, right. Strong's is the starter pack. That, that's clear to anybody who's ever read a, a real lexicon. Then the, uh, the same for the word nefesh. It, uh, it, it repeats it over over and over. It says che nefesh. Well, the fish and the, uh, and the birds in, in uh, Genesis 1, uh, uh, 20 and 121, they're che nefesh. And uh, then the uh, the cattle, you know, the domestic domesticated cattle and the reptiles and the wild beasts, they're they're chainfish, and even uh, Adam is chainfish. Right, right. It describes any living creature. It's never a biological term that describes non-white people. That's ridiculous. They try to make it a biological term. Clifton, I'm getting a lot of feedback from you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll... Uh... And, and um, they try to make it a biological term, insisting on it describing the other races, and it simply does... It doesn't describe Negroes and Chinamen as much as it doesn't describe mules. We can't imagine that Yahweh created mules. We shouldn't imagine that he created Negroes and Chinamen just because they happen to fit the definition of living creature. Doesn't mean that God created them. Because God did not create mules. Right. I was going to say that that sounds like anything that, that would describe any living creature that Yahweh created. Right, and and it's talking about the creatures he created. And it's very obvious that there are many races of people here which he did not create, as he tells us in the New Testament. Every plant which my Heavenly Father did not plant. It doesn't say the plant my Heavenly Father did not plant. It says every plant my Heavenly Father, which means that there's more than one, and certain so-called identity pastors will only identify the race of the Canaanite and Edomites, which the Jews are a part of, they'll only identify them and refuse to identify any other plants among them that could be in that group. Well, well the only plant that I see that Yahweh planted of the two-legged intelligent variety is the Adamic race. Right, and remember earlier when I when I brought it to your attention about uh, Genesis uh, six verse nine, uh, the difference between the uh, the translation of the King James version and the uh, New American Standard. Um, one thing that that um, really struck me when I when I read this chapter a couple of times. Um, let me let me just read the, the King James Version uh, 
verse 3 through, uh, through 4, maybe even through 5. Um, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now, I, I, rem- I remember how um, this whole hundred twenty years was a, a bone of contention amongst a, a, a few, where even in, like the, the living Bible is translated, it's actually translated in, in these, these freaking Jewish Bibles that uh, it says that... Uh, uh, and I will, and man will only live 120 years, basically making it sound like, you know, Yahweh has has just changed the the um, the amount of years that man will live. And, and that's how Eli interpreted that when we covered that that, that chapter in Genesis. And, and it's wrong. It actually means that Yahweh's giving Noah 120 years to get the ark together and and get you know, the instructions that he's going to give him and and complete them so that he could destroy man which he made upon the face of the earth, right? Right. Um, I actually, the the way I'm looking at this, just just the entirety of verse 3 itself, is not necessarily even Yahweh numbering the years until, uh, you know, he, he gets Noah to build the ark and all that. I I really believe, especially when it says, "My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is all also is flesh." Now, am I not correct in in believing and understanding what is being written that um, essentially the the wickedness that was going on was all the the race mixing, whether it be the um, the fallen angels or whoever, and if that's the case, then then it seems to me that Yahweh is discussing the fact that um, once you know, if essentially you know Noah and his his sons and their wives were the the few left, that he's discussing the ex- the extinction of our race that. His spirit will, you know, will not always strive with man. If man ends up becoming nothing but a broken cistern, his spirit cannot strive with him. And then right. in 120 years, things keep going the way they were going. There would be no man left for his spirit to strive with. Well, well right. And, and that's, um, that word strive mean, is actually dean, which means to, to judge, contend, or plead with. To judge or to administer judgment. To execute judgment, to requit, or to vindicate, depending on the, on, on the um, context. Right. So, I mean, even in, in addition, that would essentially mean that there wouldn't be a, an atom left for, for him to judge. Well, well, there wouldn't be if, if he didn't. Um, he, he he destroyed the race in order to preserve it. Uh, I mean, he destroyed all of the race mixers. It, it's clear in Genesis six that he brought the flood down upon men, not to punish the aliens, 
not to punish the fallen angels, not to punish the giants. They survived. The Rephaim survived. He did it to punish the Adamites that had mixed or were mixing. He did it to punish them. Well, verse 4, I mean, just from the beginning of verse 4, completely disproves the, the, uh, the muddled conception that the, the flood was worldwide, where it says there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. Right. Well, well, right, but the Rephaim, they're mentioned later in Scripture. And, and Rapha, it, the Rephaim are the descendants of Rapha, the giant. And, and it's actually, in, in Chronicles, it spells out the sons of the giant. Right. So, so Rapha is one giant. He's one of these giants that, that, um, that this, this, this word giants is actually... Nephil, or, and, and it's the Nephilim, which means the fallen ones, okay? And, and the fallen ones have to be the fallen angels. That has to be a reference to them. And, and, and Rapha, the giant, was one of them. And he went on to have children, that, among which was Goliath, who, who, was, who wasn't actually a Philistine, right? He was a mercenary for the Philistines. That is, that, that's what he actually was, because he was actually one of the Rephaim. And, and there's Og of Bashan, and there's other giants that, that survived the flood. Also, after that, right, the flood couldn't have been worldwide, because the giants survived it. And not only the giants, but the Kenites, and, and um, several other tribes mentioned in Genesis chapters 15 that have no... Um, no, no genealogy in Genesis chapter 10, therefore they don't descend from Adam. They come from somewhere else. Exactly. And the fact that, you know, the, the Old Testament, I remember, you know, I was one of those young Christians anyway, who was kind of turned off to the Old Testament because, and it's funny because I remember so many, you know, Catholics and Christians growing up echoing the same thing. Well, there's so many begats, and you know, there's so many, you know, names, and and how you know how are you supposed to follow them. It's not it's not a matter of of you know worrying about unless you're really studying in depth and you're you're you know flipping back to these these genealogy pages to do some to you know to do some referencing. Um, but it's it's understanding why these genealogies even exist within these pages, and the fact that you know these genealogies all of a sudden have no place in the New Testament, even though in the very first page of the first book of the the New Testament is the genealogy of. Joshua, all the way from Adam. And, and that verse also proves that um, generation means race, right? That first verse in the Bible, in the New Testament, proves that the word generation means race. Absolutely. Because Matthew uses the word generation in the singular, and, and that describes all of the ancestors of Christ all the way back to Abraham. So it must be the race of Christ. 
because they didn't all live at the same time. And one thing I certainly noticed also, and I grasped a greater understanding for the, the concept of, of race mixing, in that back in the Old Testament days, I mean, almost everyone that is discussed, you know, the, the other nations, um, you know, anyone, anyone weren't allowed to mix with were other Adamites, or at least, you know, the, the uh, serpent seed line who was mixed with the Adamites that, that looked white. There was no, there were, there were really no nations at that time that the Israelites came in contact with that weren't white, and the, the, um, the fact that they were supposed to stay separated from even these white nations, they were, they were considered, I guess, other races, so to speak. Is that these other nations of white people did not follow Yahweh, and that was what mattered the most. Well, the Midianites are an example. The Midianites, some of the Midianites mixed with the Moabites, but they didn't all mix with the Moabites. And, and there were several cities of the Midianites that the Israelites were told to destroy, but they could keep the virgin daughters. And they were Midianites. They were descendants of Abraham through Keturah. Right. They apparently were not mixed, but the Israelites were still told to destroy them, even though they were descendants of Abraham. Right. Well, the, the Moabites were descendants of, of Lot. Well, well, right, but the Moabites, it, it's in the book of um, of Jasher, I, I, you know, it says that they mixed with the Canaanites. I think that it's self-evident that they mixed with the Canaanites and, and the Amorites because that's where they lived. And, and we're not told anything about who Lot's sons married and so forth and so on. It, it's, there, there's a lot of question there. And, and a lot of uncertainty. Right. Well, Lot didn't have any sons, though. He had he had two daughters. No, he had two sons by his two daughters. Well, which is incest, right? Oh, right, right. But that Moab and Ammon. Right. And or or Ben Ami. Ammonites were were both enemies of the the Israelites. Yes. And and they were children of incest too, right? Right, but, but the thing is, is that it it, it it had always caught me as odd that it wasn't. I mean that that story isn't necessarily portrayed in uh, a negative fashion, where you know obviously it is incest, um, but at the same time, I believe that you know that was only done by his daughters because they thought. Probably thought it was just about the end of the world that they may have been the the last remaining white people on earth, you know. With, with well, well, right, but it's still difficult to justify. <laughs> that that's the way I look at it. I still can't justify it. Oh yeah, well, 
So what I mean is is that uh, you know still even within that it, it seems pretty obvious that the fact that the incest occurred as it did that is why the descendants of both his his daughters ended up being enemies of the Israelites. Well, well, right. There, there were a lot of um. Well, well, there were whites that were acceptable, but they were told to stay away from all of the surrounding nations, and and then you know that they were told to keep away from the idols of Egypt. That they were told to, um, if, even though the Syrians were their brethren, that they didn't mingle with the Syrians, and and when they made leagues with the Syrians later on, they were punished for it. Right, and and your point with the uh, the Midianites, I think I actually had a, a short discussion with with Clifton concerning that, with the uh, you know the the discussion of the story of of Balaam, um, where in the end, um, I guess uh, you know Moses had instructed the Israelites to to go to war against the the Midianites for basically tempting their their men and and getting them to uh you know to mix with these Midianite women and here you know uh, when i when i first came into well okay let, let's let, let's talk about that real quick right because that's reading this the story about Balaam and getting the concept of race mixing i was thinking that you know the, the people that they were mingling with they they obviously looked different but as time has gone on, I've gained the understanding that these, you know, the, the Midianites, they were another nation of, of white people. But, uh, you know, there had to have been something mixed in there that, uh, in the end, there were only 36,000 uh, white virgin girls that Moses uh, allowed the Israelites to keep. Well, well, that's what I'm trying to talk about, right? The Midianites had made a league with the Moabites. It was the Moabites, and, and Josephus, I think, um, his version may differ a little from the King James, but Josephus is basically abridging the scripture. And if you study those chapters from Numbers 24 all the way through Numbers um it might be chapter 32 or something like that. You will see the King James, and a lot of people have problems because they read it too quickly, right? And they think they think that Moses is allowing the men of Israel to take Moabite women, Moabite girls, and that's not what the text says. If you read it carefully, they're taking Midianite women, Midianite girls, but they're told to destroy the Midianites because they made a league with the Moabites against the children of Israel. That's what's going on there. The whole thing has to be read carefully. Josephus um, seemed to marginalize or exclude the Moabites from the account and, and only include the Midianites in the account. But the scriptural record is that the Moabites were the ones that were seducing the Israelites. It was a Moabitess 
who, who was found with the chief man of Simeon, who um, who, who was destroyed, right? But by, by um, uh, uh, his name's lost on me. That the um, I think it starts with a Z. The Phineas priesthood, right? By Phineas, okay. It, that was a Midian a Moabitess that he destroyed, but. The, the Midianites had made a league with these Moabites, and that's why Yahweh had the children of Israel take vengeance upon them. So, so Josephus downplayed the Moabite role in it, but, but it was Moabites and Midianites who were involved in that. Right. Well, wasn't, um, wasn't Balak, he was the, uh, the king of the Moabites, wasn't he? Yes. Right. And yes, but uh, Josephus attributes most of it to Midianites in his account. I'm sorry? I said, and, and Balaam was a Midian priest, was he not? He seems to have been a Midianite priest, right. And that's why Balak had called upon Balaam, because the, the, the Midianites, at least Balaam had an understanding of Yahweh and his laws, although he obviously was more like your your um, uh, modern day priest, where he has knowledge of God, but did not follow through. Well, well, right. It seemed to me that he he was a prophet, and and he should have known better. Well, and wasn't um, and wasn't. Moses's uh, wife and father-in-law, they were Midianites, weren't they? Yes. They were Midianites. They were called by various names for various reasons in the scripture, but by race, they were clearly Midianites. Which then kind of brings me to the, the um, I guess, the once again, that Cushite discussion concerning his wife. Um, now, the, there's obviously no biblical account of it, but uh, in Josephus it discusses uh, him having a Cushite princess as a wife while he was still an Egyptian prince. Uh, is, there any, is there any other historical documents that back that up, or is that the... Well, well he went to the land of Cush. To, to get his wife, and, and later on we see that Jethro, his father-in-law, is dwelling in um, what, what we would know today as, as Arabia, and, and that was the land of Cush because that's what the Hebrews considered the first Babylonian empire to be, was the land of Cush. The Hebrews considered the first Babylonian empire to be the land of Cush because who founded the empire? Nimrod. And what tribe was Nimrod from? He was a son of Cush. Real simple. Right. Well, the, uh, my question is, is there, there's apparently, according to Josephus, um, his his marriage to this Cushite woman isn't the same woman, uh, was not the same Midianite woman. Was not the same Midianite? Nah, I, I don't remember that. I mean, you'd have to point that out to me, but I don't see, um, 
where where Moses was married to two women. Right. Well, that's that's what I mean. In, in Josephus, and this is where I'm I'm not sure. I'm my thoughts on it are that this was Josephus's way of explaining the fact that he had a Cush a Cushite wife or an Ethiopian wife. However, they would translate that. Basically, according to him, um, while while Moses was still a prince of Egypt. He was given generalship of the Pharaoh's armies and was sent to war against Ethiopia. And when he was ready to take the capital or whatever stronghold it was, this princess, this Cushite princess, fell in love with him and offered herself in marriage so that he would not destroy their city. And apparently he married this Cushite woman, or this Ethiopian woman. And I'm thinking that that is why he offered up this, this story, because to, to kind of rectify the, um, the issue with, with Aaron and Miriam when they accused him of having a Cushite wife. Well, well, you know something, it's been 10 years since I've read Josephus, and I would really have to go back and read that account again, right? Uh, I didn't find Josephus to be perfect when I read it, but I found Josephus himself, uh, I believe, was a very honest man. And, and my assessment of Josephus when I read it, it is this, that the first, that, that antiquities and, and the rest of Josephus' writing um, reflects the learning of the Pharisees, which includes the leaven of the Pharisees in, in many respects, right? And, and I just don't want to dismiss the account offhand with that device, but to me, that's, the tr that, that's a true assessment of Josephus' writing. He makes many clear historical mistakes in, in his interpretations of Genesis chapter 10 and, and other... Um, pericopes in scripture, and, and um, it can be well demonstrated that he makes those errors. He accepts things like the book of Esther as historical, which I think is, is a huge mistake. And, and um, I think that the real value in Josephus comes where he's actually following more contemporary historians and, and his own times and, and the real value in Josephus comes from, from his own historical times, from, from, from the Maccabees down, from, from 156 B.C. forward. That's the real value in Josephus. Oh, indeed. I, I, I definitely agree with you there. But, um, I mean, you know, there, there's always that part of me that um, thinks, well, you know, he had a lot of historical documents that he was able to draw from himself that are no longer in existence today. Well, well, it seems that he had a better copy of Scripture, but a lot of the things that he says are uncooperated. And, and um, I, I kind of um, take them with a grain of salt when they're uncorroborated. Oh, absolutely. And, and this, this story of, of him... Uh, taking this the uh, this Cushite city or this Ethiopian city and you know the this Cushite princess 
falling in love with him and, and marrying him, and therefore that's how he was able to, to conquer that country. I mean, it's it's unsubstantiated. That's well, well, let's find that story is in Josephus. That, that's absolutely unsubstantiated, and it's contrary to scripture as we know it, right? It's totally contrary to the account in Scripture, which tells us that Moses had fled from the face of the Pharaoh and had fled from Egypt, and it was in his flight that he went to the land of Cush, which is the Cush of the East, which is basically um, what the Hebrews were calling Arabia at the time because it was under the dominion of, of that empire that Nimrod founded. And, and he he went to the land of Cush, and that's where he met his wife. That and that's the circumstances he met her under. That's the scriptural version. Right. Well, I mean, uh, according to Josephus, basically, um, the, his Midianite wife would have tec- technically have been his second wife. But he doesn't elaborate on that. And after the the you know the, the short story about uh, marrying that Cushite princess, you don't hear anything about that. And that was during his time as a prince of Egypt. That's not discussed in scripture. Well, it would have been all right. I'll, I'll concede it would have been natural for Moses, being raised in Pharaoh's house. As at a um, as a member of the court and and as one of the people of Pharaoh's family, it would have been natural for him to be trained to command an army, right? Right. That would have been natural. Uh, I would have to go back and reread the the entire account in Josephus and compare it to the biblical account, and and I would have to do that again. It's interesting, but I, I just um, I don't see where the biblical account allows for Moses having more than one wife. Right, neither do I. And and the thing is, is that that whole story actually had a like a fairly immense prelude to it, uh, discussing um, the the uh, the pharaohs uh, gaining some kind of oracle that predicted. Moses, Moses's coming, and that he would be the downfall of of Egypt or of the line of the pharaohs or something to that effect. And yeah, that sounds to me like way too many Greek stories that I read. Right. Right. I mean, it was it was very much there was a, a it seemed like a concocted prelude to the the to the story of of him making this conquest and marrying this Cushite woman. Almost as if the whole thing was was uh, Josephus's way of explaining away um, Aaron and Miriam's accusations against Moses for marrying a Cushite woman. Well, well, if you read the account given by Herodotus of the circumstances concerning the birth of Cyrus the king and, and his maternal grandfather. Astyages, the king of the Medes, and Cyrus was born of a Persian father, and, and you will see 
an extremely similar account because it was prophesied that Cyrus would take the throne and return it to the Persians and take it out of the hands of the Medes. So Astyagus sought to kill the child, and the child was exposed. And, and then he was taken in by a, a shepherd and raised up by the shepherd. And then when he came to his full age, he, he by some chance of fate, ended up sitting on the throne of, of Persia, right? And, and returning the, the hegemony to the Persians. And that Herodotus has a very similar story that Josephus had to have read, right? Right. Absolutely. But yeah, I have to admit, not really remembering the, the account given by Josephus very well, even though I did read it. And, and he also, there was uh, many places throughout Exodus when uh, Josephus is recounting basically he would he would he would tell such crucial points such as as the uh the, the golden calf and and um various other i don't know i just found it odd well well right but his his purpose is not really to um reproduce the scripture that's not his purpose his purpose is to prove the antiquity of Ju the Judean nation and religion to a Greek audience. That is his purpose, okay? Right, understood. So, so he's writing for a re he's not writing for religious reasons. He's writing to prove his um. Basically, he's writing in 70 A.D., right? He, he, he was a Judean general who what was um, defeated, right, and, 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 and the rebellion against Rome, and, and he's trying to show that his nation is a very, very old nation, and for that reason, he's trying to justify its existence because it's it's about to really be destroyed. I mean, right? Because of the rebellions, and, and the Romans are just tired of, of the perfidy of the Edomites, and and, um, and and that's what happened. Yeah, you know. And and even though all of the um, well, well, all of the Edomites were not the Jews, the 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 Jews that rejected Christ, right? Because the um, the Judeans that accepted Christ no longer at this time identify themselves as Judeans. And 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 um that that's quite evident in, in history and, and in early Christian history. That they ceased well once they accepted Christianity they ceased to identify themselves as Judeans. So so they, they um the people that we know today as Jews are all those people who had rejected Christ. That, that's that, that's um, self-evident from examining early Christian history, I believe. Well, well the um, Josephus wanted... that They weren't all run out of Palestine in 70 AD. They weren't run out for quite some time. I mean, there was another big rebellion in, in the days of Hadrian, or, or right after that, called the Bar Kokhba Rebellion, led by Simon Bar Kokhba. Even though Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., 
the the um, the Jews were still there in very large numbers after that, large enough to hold another massive rebellion fifty years later. Well, which is what the Bar Kokhba rebellion was. Well, well, anyway, Josephus is basically writing to prove the antiquity of his nation and justify its existence. That's why he wrote Antiquities. He didn't write it to um, to, to make a new copy of the scripture or, or a new copy of history or, or anything like that. He does fill in some blanks in, in the scriptures in, in various points. Well, with, with very... Um, sensible and, and realistic accounts that, that um, I, I believe are probably legitimate. In some places he exhibits that he had a better copy of, of scripture than, than we have today. I don't know. I, I think just what really boggles my mind, though, is, is uh, someone of his character, so to speak. I mean, he definitely seems like he he tried to be as honest as possible. Um, it's pretty apparent that he is an Israelite, especially when, you know, he lists his genealogy and, and he is able to, to, to trace it. Um, but the, the fact that, you know, with him him covering all that he covered in the history of his people, how easily he was able just to, to go with the flow in the in, in retelling the orchestration of the, um, the the change in the body of the Judeans. I mean, where it was obviously no longer where where genealogy wasn't. Uh, such a big deal anymore. Although, and and on the flip side of that coin, I found it ironic that he felt it necessary to um, substantiate his own genealogy to, um, um, you know, to make sure people understood that his position as uh, a priest within the, the order um, uh, was a legitimate one. Was, you know, was legitimate. Right. There's a great um, cognitive dissonance in Josephus's thinking. And, and I think the same is true of, of many white people today. That many, many white people in the mainstream will, be, will make a point of showing that they're pure Irish or pure German, and, and then they'll, they'll accept their daughter marrying and, and somebody that's not. Right. Yeah, I guess that's the I guess that's the same way of thinking. With well, we have this, and Josephus's daughter married into the family of Herod. Right. His own daughter married into the Herodians, and, and he thought little of it. But then again, he 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 made it a point to recount that the Essenes. And he was an Essene for, for quite some time, so, so he knew firsthand. He made it a point to, to um, tell us that the Essenes had, had insisted that in, in order to join their sect, that you had to be a Judean by birth. Right. 
you know, it just it, it goes to show that, uh, I mean, history literally is consistently repeating itself. Yes, it does. It is testament to exactly that. When I said it's like a broken record, and to and to have such a historian as as Josephus, you know, to have as many pages as we do um, of his writings that you know substantiate where his mindset was at that time which can be correlated to to a, a lot of the way our people today think. Uh, there's a lot of problems with Josephus's writings. He, in some places, disparages Herod, and then in other places he talks glowingly about him. And, and then he calls him nothing better than a half-Judean or a half-Jew, right, in, in the text, in, in the English texts. He calls him nothing better than a half-Judean, and he's calling them that because he was a half, he, he was an Edomite by blood. He was only a Judean by, um, by, by citizenship, right? And, and Josephus points that out. And, and he points out four times that Herod was an Edomite. And, and he talks about how the Maccabees had, had um, forced all the Edomites to convert. But that, that's the, the learning of the Pharisees. I, I mean, basically, well, we can't know everything Christ meant by that, but one of the major points he had against them was hypocrisy. And, and they, 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 a lot of it may have been accidental hypocrisy because they didn't stop to understand what a lot of those things really meant. What the implications of, of them were. That their own teachings, you know, and I have to ask, do, in in the New Testament, you know, it, it's pretty obvious to to everyone here, you know, the the um, the message that Jesus brought, obviously, especially when he when he said, "I, I only come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." You know, the, obviously the reason why he was murdered was because of his, his message. But why is it that you think that the, the racial message actually isn't plain as day? Why isn't it plain as day? Because Yahweh had promised that Israel would be blind due to her disobedience. Now, the racial division wasn't as stark in that world. The racial division just wasn't as, as stark in the ancient world. And Edomite could easily be accepted and often was as a quote-unquote white man. Right, that's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Well, well Absolutely. Yahweh wants his word to be the dividing point between us. He wants us to understand that aside from appearances, we learn to, to obey his word. And, and the gospel, he wanted the gospel to be the dividing point. 
that that's his plan. That that's a a, um, a a plan that often transcends human understanding. But he wanted the word of God to be the filter between the wheat and the tares. That's his design, and that's exactly what he told us. And and we can't do it on appearances because the appearances are often that the water is so muddied. I mean, we know what white is, and but what I'm saying is that we can do it on appearances to the point that we don't accept anything that's not apparently white. But there's a lot of people that there's a lot of Khazars that are apparently white. That there's a lot of Sephardic Jews that are so mixed in with us that that a lot of people accept them as white. Right. That don't look Arab, and and the Arabs themselves really weren't Arabs as we know them uh, until well into the um, well, until well past the time of Abraham, right, and and the time of ancient Israel. Exactly. I mean, I essentially ask that question because that is the question that. I think, above all else, was asked of me while I was in prison. Well, well, look at the testimony of John, the apostle, right? Where he says that Christ needed no man's testimony as to, as to any man because he knew what was in men. In other words, Christ had the perception to tell the wheat from the tares, and the apostles basically didn't. And, and Joseph is sure as hell didn't. <laughs> right. And uh, essentially, with, you know, it just it brings me back to my whole point of, you know, all Christians need to know the Old Testament because that is where the, the complete fundamentals and foundation of the knowledge that, you know, it is Israel and Israel alone that is under covenant with Yahweh. And that's the story the, the whole way through the Old Testament. Well, absolutely. And that's that, that's why the Jews keep, do their best to keep Christians discouraged from the Old Testament. And nobody wants to read about a bunch of dead old Jews anyway, right? And, and Jews strive to keep us discouraged from reading the Old Testament. The shame is that once somebody does read the Old Testament, they realize that they can't possibly have been Jews. Right. I just wish we all had um, more time to to sit down and, and read the Old Testament from beginning to end. I mean, you know, as much as I definitely did not like being incarcerated for 60 days, it was a blessing in disguise because I most certainly uh, was able to do some in-depth reading and studying and, and just to 
to have more of an understanding of our people's history. You know, I mean, I thought I had knowledge of the Old Testament, which I did. You know, there's no doubt about it. I knew plenty of stories of, of the Old Testament. But when you actually read it in its historical format from beginning to end, I mean, it's just, it's almost like you just opened up another world altogether. And the, the New Testament, everything about the New Testament makes complete sense. Well, I used to actually make guys read it, right? If they wanted to talk, guys wanted to talk to me about the Bible and history. If you wanted to talk to me about the Bible and history, you had to be reading it. I wouldn't talk to you. I tell you, go read the book. you got to go read the book. Go read the book so that you have a frame of reference for me to talk to you because I'm not going to explain every little thing and every little name. You have to go read the book and then we'll talk. And a lot of them went and read the book. Yeah, there weren't too many on my end, but, I mean, I was only in it for two months. It's not like I could have, uh, you know, gotten exacerbated much of a change within some of these guys because, you know, I mean, they were all short-timers anyway. But I remember... Yeah, well, prison's a whole different story. Yeah. But I remember getting into an argument with my with the one guy in in my bunk room pretty decent white guy. He he had a, a, a background in, in Christianity and I guess his, his mom was a Sunday school teacher and things like that. And I, I brought it to his attention because he, he, he's definitely your, your quintessential um, white man who is all about self-gratification. You know, he loved to brag about how many women he had had and, and uh, you know, he, he was basically rather self-centered, and I started to, to discuss with him what it meant to be married. I said, you, you realize that every woman you slept with, you essentially were marrying because that is the, marriage is the consummation of a betrothal. And he, he wanted to argue with me on it. I said, you know, he's like, well, you know, you need to show me where that is. Um, you know, and there's tons of places. Like, for, for one, um, discussing Lot and, and his daughters, um, when, when they, they were talking about uh, Lot had sons-in-laws, or son-in-laws, yeah, I guess it's sons-in-law, um, they were betrothed to his daughters, but they were not married yet because they did not consummate it. His daughters were still virgins, just like Joseph was betrothed to Mary, and and in Scripture, Mary was considered Joseph's wife, even though they had not consummated the marriage. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand. They just think that, well, you know, only when you're quote-unquote married and you go through the ceremony and the vows, that's when she's your wife. No, it's, it's, you know, the betrothal actually comes first, but of course, in, in this day and age, that type of thing no longer exists because the, the guy no longer has to go to the, the father of the bride-to-be and ask permission, and, and you know, the, the children aren't considered the, the property of the, the parents anymore, and, 
Well, well, that was the Jew that engineered the total breakdown of our society, right? The best place to go to, to understand that sex is marriage is Jacob and Laban and Rachel and Leah. Because Jacob had an agreement with Laban for, Ram, for, for Rachel, and Laban tricked him and had Leah sent into a dark room at night. And Jacob lied with her, not realizing who it was. But once he had sex with her, he realized he was married to her and kept her. Because that was the right thing to do because he had had sex with her. He didn't try to give her back to Laban. He said, why did you trick me? Right. And it's very clear right from that chapter that Jacob did the right thing by admitting that basically he slept with, with Leah, so Leah was his wife, and he treated Leah like a wife, even though he never wanted her. But he slept with her. So he knew that a, a righteous man would realize that he should keep her, and that's what he did. He kept her. So his act of sex with her was was marriage. He he never said to Laban, "Oh, you you yeah, you tricked me, so she's not my wife." If that were the case, he'd have been able to say that. It would have been easy to say because it was clearly a trick, right? Yeah, one of the things that I would hear a lot from from guys in there, and uh, you know, a, a lot of them when the uh, you know when the little beasties would try to put their two cents in every now and again, which really didn't last too long. One of their uh, favorite things to say is, "Well, you know, it was way back then. Things have changed, and and uh, you know, I don't know how many times I was able to." to to bring up verses that basically say, you know, Yahweh is the same. He's unchanging. You are not to add anything to or take anything away from what he has said. He, he is the beginning and the end. There, he never changes. So anything that is written, there's nothing different today than it was back then, no matter what you think. Well, well, right. Just because men think things have changed doesn't mean God's changed, and it doesn't make it right. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, I change is not. I think he says that somewhere. I'm pretty sure he does. I change this not. I don't know. There's some CI pastors that try to say that well, where it says no man knows the day, they try to say, well, I know the day. So... <laughs> 
it, it's um self deception is a horrible thing. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. But I'll tell you what, I I guarantee you, you know, a lot of the reasons that all this crap is publicized is it's it's a a way of destroying the the uh, credentials of Christianity, and uh, the the fact that that they're still giving media coverage to that Joker. What the hell was what was his name? Hal something or other. Hal Camping. Hal Lindsay's another one. He's a clown. Yeah, the fact that he's still getting press coverage. Well, well, the Jews just love to point it out. Is right. The Jews love to point. Oh, look at those stupid Christians. They're at it again. The world's going to end tomorrow. Hardy, ha, ha. Well, well, it's really not Christians at all because the guy um, promoting the date is, is is a Jew too. Hell, camping's a damn kike. You know, I, I kind of figured that. I'll, I I looked at his picture. I'm like, man, he looks like a Jew. <laughs> well, well, he deserves the money of any Christian that follows him, right? He deserves their money because they're following a Jew. They, they may not know he's a Jew, but, but I mean, if they don't want to take the time to spiritually discern where a doctrine is coming from, well, well they, they deserve to have their money taken. I mean, I would have at least thought that any of these date setters would have been smart enough to say, well, you know, I'll, I'll give you the month and the year because, you know, Jesus said you will not know the day nor the hour. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's just crazy. But none of them are even smart enough to pull that. Well, I'm sure somebody will think about it sooner or later. And it's just a way to separate people from their money, but... People go for it. They love it. It makes them feel comfortable and warm and fuzzy. And that they just won't pick up the Bible and read it. So they deserve to lose their money, though, as far as I'm concerned. Somebody I read today compared Hannibal Camping to that, um, that Jew that ripped everybody off, and, and it, it is. He's really doing the same thing, but there's no law against it. You mean Bernie Madoff? Yeah, Bernie Madoff. Harold Camping's worth like $100 million. And he's probably worth a lot more than that, right? That's only what they can find out about. <laughs> right. He's been, um, there was a Cuban guy who, who was one, one of my, um, the, the, one of the thorns in my side. He really wasn't, he, he respected me. But he would he would just come and bust my chops from time to time with stupid questions, right? And, and I had to run him off, and then he'd come back a few months later and try to be my friend. And I, I don't know, it, it was like a kind of like a friendly adversarial relationship, right? And, and this Cuban guy, one day he brought me this um, Harold Camping book, and he's like, "Think, uh, what, what do you think about this guy?" Blah 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 blah. And I looked at the book, and I opened up the first page, and, and I read a couple of lines of it. And I said, well, he's a clown, but you can believe him because I don't care what you believe. 
that was my response to Harold Camping, and, and I read about three pages of his book, and I don't remember what it was about because this is like 10 years ago. And, and I never heard the name again until um, I, I remembered it when I started hearing about this 521 stuff, right? Uh, Harold Camping, that's that, that, that clown that that Cuban guy was asking me about. And it was. I wish I could remember the premise of that book, but it was bad. He's a universalist. He, he wants to suck them all in. All of the deceivers have to be universalists because, they're, they're, I mean, they're in it for money, right? So it, 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 it's ridiculous to be a racist and be in it for money because you're not, you're kind of limiting your, your um, income already, right? <laughs> Right, you're you're reducing your audience. You know, I had um, one of the one of the guys who actually listened to me uh, pretty much the, the whole time I was there. Although, you know, of course, he was still pretty skeptical. But he uh, he was one of the guys who named me preacher. Um, I just kind of lost my train of thought here. Uh, you didn't only lose it. It seems like it's just derailed. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely lost it. I knew where I was going with it, but disappeared. There you go. Arian Sword has it. Right, and that's because all of the children of Israel deserve to die, but he promised us preservation. Well, if anybody else has anything to contribute, just, just um, ask, and I'll turn your microphone on. Otherwise, this program's probably about run its course. Well, I remember what I was going to say. He uh, he asked me. He said, um, "Why?" First question was, "Why don't you become, you know, I guess how he put it, it was like a certified preacher or something like that?" And then he said. And and if you did, what what would your denomination be? And of course, my answer is uh, um, the only certification I need is right here within these between these two covers of this book. And I said I'm completely non-denominational. Said so why you know what on earth would you would possess you? to listen to somebody who is paid to tell you what this book means. Wouldn't you feel more comfortable listening to somebody discuss the Bible who wants to discuss it, who has read and researched it and is discussing it out of their desire and not because they... That's their job because they're being paid to. You could have told them your certification was your skin. Look at it, it's white. <laughs> yeah. Right on, Mike. 
Ah, uh, doing all right. Feeding the baby, doing some dishes, being a house house husband deal here. That's okay. That's a noble pursuit. Too bad more fathers didn't spend so much time with their kids. Maybe this country wouldn't be so screwed up. Right on. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, there was there was a lot of uh, wiggers in there that me and a couple other guys we would always point them out and say, uh, yeah, there's there's a kid who uh, grew up in a uh, uh, a one-parent household, probably raised by his mother, and his mother let him run amok. And when we actually get to talk to the guy, that was exactly the case. Yeah, it was certainly my case. Uh, such a piece of crap for the early years of my life, that's for sure. Mike, now that I got you here, what's up with this Irish, um, I hate to call him a gentleman, but what's up with this Irish dude <laughs> that you and Bruce knew from so long ago that, um, he came on here drunk and cussing on the Euro Forum last week, and, and I kind of just permitted him, thinking, let me see where this goes. <laughs> And um, it didn't turn out too bad, but but it, it was um, he speaking about people that need some guidance. He would be about at the top of the list of people I consider right now. Uh, I'll let you know. Right, I haven't talked to that guy in over two and a half years, and when I used to work with that half breed guy, um, and you know that that's. Split happened. I stopped talking to him. That Irish dude went on behalf with him and hung out with him until he realized, hey, you know what? This guy's a lazy half nigger. <laughs> Maybe Mike was right. And so, you know, a lot of these guys that, that, you know, when that split happened, they sided with him. You know, oh, Mike's just a, you know, a neo Nazi racist and you know, whatever else landed me with. He got all these people fooled into believing, you know, he was a swell guy. And they all, every one of them, figured out sooner or later, so he just went to late. Kind of sounds like something that happened recently in my own life. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny how that works, huh? <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. I had to get that in. <laughs> so, yeah, he just contacted me uh, within the, like 48-hour period that I guess I had heard from Bruce that he was on TeamSpeak. I didn't even know the guy knew I came on here because I didn't even talk to the guy at all at that point. And, uh, yeah, so I don't really know what's up with him. Either. I I was able to talk to him about a week ago for one time, and I think it was like 2 o'clock in the morning in, in Ireland where he was at. And, yeah, he was just three sheets to the wind. His, his girlfriend's over there like, clean up after him and, I was like, man, this poor guy, he's better lay off the alcohol. It's not like he was getting alcohol poison. He was so drunk. He was like, tar, 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 three quarters of tar. I was like, man, he's better lay off that crap, dude. <laughs> but he's had a, I guess he's had a little bit of history of that. So that's, uh, yeah, certainly something that needs some guidance and some work. Yeah. Well, well you know something? I'm probably not going to let him get away with that again, right? Uh, I just thought that maybe he, he would, um, I didn't want to alienate him, uh, and I thought I'd put up with him for a little bit just to see if he'd come back, but evidently, whether he's drunk or he's sober, he hasn't made it back. 
and uh, I don't know if he's really inquiring or, or um, if he's just jacking our chain, right? I, and I'm not going to just let my time get wasted with somebody that's um, evidently constantly inebriated. Yeah, it's a little out of control, as we sure. All right, well, I just thought I'd ask. It, it's... um. It's no big deal. It was entertaining for a minute. I, I don't really know how he got here, but it was entertaining for a minute. And <laughs> the next time he comes, he should probably be sober. But I'll 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 speak to him when he gets here. I, I know he was here one night when I was at Bob's, and I didn't pay too much attention to it. And, and then he showed up on the next year for him. Connections are. Yeah, we'll have to see what his, his intentions are. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give the guy a benefit of the doubt, and uh, I'm already well aware of his, you know, his uh, destructive predicament for the last few years. You know, it hasn't really been a secret around the circle. So, well, um, yeah, we'll see where it, work, where it goes from here. So, Yeah, it's, it's a shame that somebody that young, I, I mean, I was tied up in alcohol for a long time myself when I was young and stupid. But, um, yeah, it, 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 there has to come a point in everybody's life, in everybody's life where, where they have to realize that it's time to grow up. I, I mean, if you want to really accomplish anything in life or, or um, add up to anything, sure as hell can't do it drunk. And if you want to be of any service to your race, you sure as hell can't do it drunk. Well, that that might be the issue with him because I I know he's at the level where he's certainly Jew wise. You know, he's not. Uh, I wouldn't consider him, a, you know, like a soft anti-Zion or something. I mean, he's definitely on par with what the Jew is. But I don't think he's at, had any um, what you want to call his self-esteem building on on what he is as far as a race and and you know why he shouldn't want to destroy himself and why he should take pride in his race and certainly messing with that uh the half breed wasn't gonna help him, you know, figure you know, he of course you know, he's looking around probably going, Well, I'm equal to all these people you know, so maybe maybe once he gets uh you know, fed up a little bit of who he is and where he's come from, that'll that'll help his out help him out uh, uh to take more constructive instead of a destructive path. Yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm definitely going to try to talk to him the next time he comes. And, and I might have to squash him if he just stays drunk. <laughs> but the, um, I, I was really, I, I just wanted to see where it would, uh, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to see where it would go, and because and, I had all the European people in here, right? And, and they're actually, um pretty conservative when it comes to stuff like that, right? But Danny was here, the the, uh, the American in Ireland, and, and he could be a real friendly guy, and, and um, he, he was. He stepped right up and started talking to the guy, and it went on and on and on, and I'm like, wow, this isn't going to end. But <laughs> it, it didn't turn out so bad. It could have turned out a lot worse. I, I was hoping that he would get a load of some of the... Um, European sensibility and it might rub off on him, right? But uh, I don't know if he if he was too drunk, he, he couldn't even pay attention. So,
Well, well, on that note, I'm going to end the program and we could go down to the open house, right? Um, thanks, everybody. And I'll be on Charles Giuliani on Truth Hurts on OracleBroadcasting.com on Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. I was supposed to be on that program on Friday morning, and due to a scheduling mix-up, it, it just didn't happen. So uh, that was beyond my control, that's for sure. I'll have a mailing out on it tomorrow, and the links will be on the front page of Christagenia on Wednesday morning. And, and thank you, and praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Thank <laughs> you.